Here we are, everybody, to the episode where Worf says, don't tase me, bro, as he gets repeatedly tased over and over again. That, that reference would have worked better 15 years ago, I think, Clay, but uh, mm. how are you? I'm good. That's a little a little behind the times. <laughs> remember, remember when that kid got tased and we all laughed at him? <laughs> yeah, that was before, uh, uh, you know... Um, <clears throat> Uh, authoritarian governments were the rage. Yeah. And yeah. It, it just was- seemed like a funny offshoot <laughs> instead of the hellscape we currently all live in. It was more of a robo Robocop version of a hellscape than anything else, I guess. But mm. yeah. Things back have changed. When, back, remember when that guy threw a shoe at George Bush? Yep. It's the ultimate insult in Islam, I guess, is to throw your shoe at somebody. Hey, well, gotta throw something, I guess. <laughs> we. we, we we survived. We got through that, and we said, "How could these? How can life get any worse than this?" When people are throwing shoes at each other, honestly, who throws a shoe? You fight like a woman. Um, <laughs> we're going to play the intro credits right now. Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. All right, everybody. So, welcome back. This is Till Death Do Us Part. It is the 18th episode of the seventh season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. First aired on the 14th of April, 1999. Written by David Weddle and Bradley Thompson. Directed by Weinrich Colby. In this episode, Cisco agonizes over his vision from the prophets, telling him not to marry Cassidy. Kai Wynn receives a vision for telling a guide who will help her restore Bajor. And Ezri and Worf are interrogated by the Breen. We're joined by Clay to talk about this one. Clay, the original title for this episode was the wheels they are spinning but what did you think about it uh i think i probably used the uh the prophet said that we just you know i need to walk this road alone line i think i used that at least once in college to break up with somebody yeah so it's it's uh (laughs) i wish i wish i wish cisco had just like flicked on his sunglasses and just like walked out to white snake after that There's a lot of there's a, r- a lot of really interesting like uh, stuff going on. My I think my favorite bit is at the beginning when Kai Wynn shows up and she's just slinging some heavy passive aggressive shit at Cisco where he's like, oh no, that's okay, you don't really need to do anything. She's like, oh, you don't have to thank me. I'm happy to do it. And then he mentions that the prophets talk to him. She's like, prophets never talk to me. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that awkward thing in a conversation where a person says something like that and you don't know how to respond to her. Uh, she's like, well, as you know. I've never been spoken to the, by the prophets, and Cisco just says, "Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yep. what I know about you." Yep. Would you like another drink? I um, this this episode's funny. Like we we talked to a little bit about the uh, the serialization, the way that the show does serialization in the previous episode, where I kind of complained about scenes that were unnecessary, and mm-hmm. I I think this one might be a little bit better of an example at what I'm talking about in terms of like the pace of what the show chooses to do with things. Because Mm. if you think about it, this is kind of a two-parter if you pair it with Penumbra, the episode that came before this. And Mm -hmm. if if you only consider them to be a two-parter, it's a very bad two-parter where it, it feels like it just takes an awful long time for the characters to get where they're going. And you're kind of redundantly repeating the storylines over the course of two episodes and I think that like out of the out of the stories that come out of this one, Ducat and Wynn is the new one, 
Cisco mm-hmm. and Cassidy is a continuation of the last episode, and then Worf and Ezri is a continuation of the last episode. And I yeah. think that particularly in the Worf and Ezri storyline, which is maybe the weakest, you don't end up anywhere new with them through the course of this entire episode. Like they they learn a little bit more about each other kind of melodramatically, and you learn that the Breen are allying with the Dominion at the very end. But it, it, like, it just strikes me as a very strange story choice where when you're wrapping up this series that Worf and Ezri would be one of the stories that you pick. And that ties into the the thing that ties in from the, other, the Penumbra episode is when you do two of these episodes in a row, it really makes me wonder why they chose some of these stories in the first place. Does that make sense? You don't look well. I'm fine. What happened to that brave officer I served with? The one who stood at my side while we fought the entire Klingon Empire with a single ship. Those were simpler times. Those days might be gone. But the man I served with isn't. He's still within you. Reach in and grab hold of him, Damar. Cardassia needs a leader. You were its leader once. You could be again. The power wraiths have shown me that I have a different destiny. Good luck, old friend. Yeah, um... This one in particular, you know, if you call the last episode a setup episode, I don't really know what else you would call this, because though they move through the... Um, Cisco and Cassidy stuff, and there there is a a movement there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. They're setting up more stuff with Kai Win and Ducat, and they basically are just wasting time for forty minutes with Ezri and Worf to give you like one plot movement forward. Yeah, and it just feels like a really slow. Uh. The stuff with Cassidy and Cisco is fine, but everything else, it, it in the in the episode that it's in here, it feels incredibly slow. Like everything that happens with as with uh, Cisco and 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 Cassidy, I feel like you could have done that in one episode. Yeah, uh, you know, if that had been the story they were telling, that would be a single episode. The, um, the prof in Penumbra, in other words. They would announce their marriage in like the cold open or something. The prophets would, in the first act, tell him that he can't do that, and he spends the rest of the episode debating what he's going to do until at the very end, instead of the originally at the very end of the penumbra, the prophets reveal that he can't do this, and that's kind of like the cliffhanger ending. But the mm-hmm. ending of a condensed episode would be Cisco discovers that he is going to marry Cassidy d- despite what the prophets had told him earlier in the episode. Yeah, exactly. And with so little time left um i'm really surprised that a they're moving so slowly and b the stories they are choosing to tell uh the Ezri and Worf being the prime example of this because i don't know why they spend more than a single scene with them before they do the bit at the end where uh, Wei Yun um, reveals himself to with to be partnering with the Breen or whatever, because it's if you go back and you look at what's going on there, it's all the only stuff you're getting from those scenes is like middling personal stuff, 
that doesn't seem to I- impact anything. I mean, unless Ezri having a thing for Bashir play, happens to be the linchpin of the winning the Dominion War. I don't know if that's going to really be a big deal. <laughs> it's also very artificially brought up where they're just yelling out sentences in their sleep saying like, no, yeah. no, no, Dr. Bashir, I can't make love to you. I'm in love with the war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, why, why are you choosing to, t- it, it, you know, especially since in the last episode, we I think we kind of talked about how it's weird to reopen this conversation after they... Uh, it seemed like they closed it after after the first two episodes with Esri. Right. Uh, it's even weirder here because it's not like why do you? I I feel like you have to be able to spend this time you're spending on these like uh, failed escape attempts and and getting zapped and screaming out at, at people's name in your sleep. I feel like you have to be able to use that time doing something more constructive for for the story you're telling in your last ten episodes or so. Yeah. I, I find it the the wharf thing I find strange because to me it, it highlights the issue that they really seem like they were delaying the season seven to get to this final arc point. Like they just they put a hold on storylines and because I never got the sense that after Worf and Ezri in the season opener had their thing where Worf is like, It's good to have you around, Ezri, and he seems to have gotten over it. I never got the sense that Worf was really d- doubting his decision. You know, so when when it when right, they bring it right. back up at this point, it feels like they were just holding the ball until they got down the shot clock got down to ten seconds and they're like, Now we're gonna unload this story on everybody. And And it's oh sorry, go ahead. Well as as in, as important as and as much as I like the Jedzia and uh Wharf storyline and how Ezri would sort of fit into that, I don't know if it's appropriate to be a third of your final ending arc. It, like it mm. doesn't feel that important or that um interesting to me. And they seem like they're doing it just as a way to bring the Breen into it. But I, I would rather, like, I'd rather see what the other characters are doing at this point. We're only checking in with the same group of characters that we saw in Penumbra. Yeah, and, like, I think you get one scene with Odo, and he's, like, just kind of sitting around going, like, well, how do you feel about this, Kira? Yeah, wait for and the Kira's wedding like, to start. Yeah, and Kira's like, I don't know. I don't love it. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> She's upset because Cisco's defying the will of the prophets. Which right, makes right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and like it's the stuff that they do get out. It, you know, it's it's this weird stuff where Ezri is kind of kind of has a thing for Bashir, so now Worf is jealous about it. Yep, and also he's like gotten immediately clingy. Because he's like, well, we have plenty of time to spend together for the rest of yes. our lives. And now Ezra's I get to know like, you. Oh, yeah. Oops. Um, and it's like, you know what? I, this continues I to all know. be Ezri's fault, I think, too. <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> not to- yeah, I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, if you're, uh, uh, I'm not even going to make an analogy. Yes, it's her fault. <laughs> well, I mean, she, she, particularly because she seems so she seems to have come around full circle here in a way that is interesting to me like when in penumbra it seemed like she was more into the relationship and it's like the you, you didn't i i didn't get the sense that she would be the one that would sort of turn around on it i think that it makes sense and Worf would be the one who's clingy and attached to her but mm-hmm. at the same point i don't know why other than her trill confused emotionality why why it matters all that much but mm. i don't know i just like think why- it's Go ahead. I don't know. Like, I, I just don't understand why them sleeping together couldn't have just been the end of the story. Right. You know, it's yeah. just, yeah. you know, it's like uh, make up, you know, one last fling before you break up kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess, I and mean, yeah. This... They just spend so much time doing nothing 
and ultimately just for that reveal at the end. Like, I don't, am I going to look back on this episode in three episodes and go, man, they really set this up when (laughs) when they were writhing around on the floor talking about how they can't escape from the brain. Right. Yeah. You know, I I don't think so. You can tell if I'm wrong, please let me know. But I have a feeling that's not going to happen. I think it's um, I think it's melodramatic in, in some ways, and I think that it's it's not, it it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel well. It, the Worf and Ezri has a storyline that is more interesting to me in some ways than the Cisco storyline. However, mm-hmm. I can sort of like you can sort of intellectually see why the Cisco storyline is important, even though there's not a tremendous amount of action, and it. it's all very much right. internal. Cisco is deciding what to do. I do feel like the Cisco decision and what he chooses to do makes a lot more sense and is more symbolic of the end coming about than Worf and Ezri. I think that's my major problem with those two. But mm-hmm. I think Cisco works, but I'd agree that there's no reason to stretch what he did over two episodes and instead make it just the one episode. And I think that that would be perfect. I mean, to, to sum up Cisco, he's defied the prophets at this point. He's going to do what he wants to do. Interestingly, and all the time that Starfleet and the emissary role conflicted, he never had a problem with it. But when it's his personal decision, he has mm-hmm. a, a problem with it. I think, which I think is a nice touch. Mm-hmm. The the prophet, he, I, I really like the scene with him and the prophet mother, where she seems to finally break from the prophet uh, way of talking and speaks to him like he is her son. Mm-hmm. She, she feels sad I, about the way the things are going. <laughs> I did find that whole sequence really, really funny because it was like the Star Trek equivalent of your mother pulling you aside and being like, you cannot marry that woman. (laughs) She is awful. (laughs) I have foreseen it. I, I, I think, I think that Cisco, I think the Cisco storyline is like an important, understandable storyline as to why they would get to this point. And I like the way that he went with it. It just, it just feels stretched out a little bit. And I think that Worf and Ezri, um, are the same except worse for that. So we can we can wrap up with the other thing about the Worf and Ezri that I think is bizarre, which is well, what do you think about the Breen? <laughs> which is a I, very open ended question. But what do you think about the Breen? Uh, I think they are the worst looking Star Trek character I've ever seen. <laughs> they look like they look like Doctor Who or like original Battlestar Galactica. I do not like the way they look. Someone says they look like Bounty Hunter Leia. <laughs> yeah, they look like Bounty Hunter Leia. But, like, if that costume were made for an amusement park, so, like, it's oversized. <laughs> yeah. You yeah, know? It's yeah. not, It's not like, movie-ready. Yeah. I, I, I have a few problems with the Breen setup, you, which is... Go ahead. Sorry. Could you just give me a refresher about what the deal with the Breen is? I know I've, we've seen them before, but I can't remember what their, what their deal is. Sure. So, most of it is mentioned in this episode, what their deal is. We've seen them in... Uh, indiscretion, I think, was the episode where Goldukat and Kira find uh, Zayal on that mining mm-hmm. planet. I think the Breen mm-hmm. are the ones that had captured her. They're, in this episode, they do a lot of exposition to explain who the Breen are, and even though you've never heard of them, they're a huge power in the Alpha Quadrant, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of my issue with them. It feels like they ran out of species to make this yeah. twist feel like it was going to be impactful, so they had to that's- use the Breen as the stand-in. That's the main reason I asked is because, but at the end, Wei Yun is like, hmm, quite a uh, reveal, wouldn't you say, that now the F- Dominion has partnered with the Breen? And I'm like, I, 
is that like is that like someone saying like, "Ooh, hmm, Delaware has joined the uh, the USSR." You yeah. know, like it, <laughs> is it like what 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 does this mean? This thirteenth round draft pick is really going to win the championship for us at this point. Yeah. Hey man, yeah. hey man, Tom Brady, Tom Brady, <laughs> six round pick, greatest <laughs> of all time. Yeah, the, I mean that's the that's the major problem with it, which which I'd be fine with. It's just it's just the fact that you've never heard of them, and apparently they are enough to sort of swing the 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 uh, the way that the war is going is the way that have the way we, is treating it. Have we seen them like like visually seen them? before? We've seen them. Yes, we have. Okay, I could not. I it's only must have been like once because I did not remember. I knew the name, but I could not remember anything else about them. They're also in the um. You might remember. There's one Breen in the two-parter episode where uh, Garrick, Worf, and uh, Bashir are locked in the Dominion prison camp. Do you remember that episode, two-parter? Yes. Where there, there's Worf a Breen who makes people the f- for four days. Yes. There's a, there's a yeah. there's a Breen who kills the first Jem'Hadar guard, and Worf says there's a, an old saying that you never turn your back on a Breen. So that's like ah, the other time okay. that we've seen them. Um, gotcha. But they're not important. There's no reason to remember them really. That's the until they show up in Discovery season three. That's right. Until until it all works forward. I, I have the same problem with the Breen. I think that they mm-hmm. just ran out of races and stuff like that. But I didn't know if you had any is, other thoughts about them. Is there someone that you would sub in there that hasn't been used yet? It it should have been like the Romulans or something. It wouldn't make sense in the way yeah. that they've told the story to be the Romulans, but it would have to be someone like the Romulans to do it, I think. Yeah. Um I actually, I was expecting something a little bit more sneaky in that, you know, they talk about, uh, Esri talks about how oh, she's never seen, she doesn't even know what they look like. I wonder if they're hairy because it's cold on Breen or whatever. My first instinct was that it was going to turn out that they were Klingons hmm. and, or something like that. Like it, you, uh, you were going to reveal at the end, they were going to take their helmets off and it was going to be, uh, Martok, not no, not Martok, the other one. The, Gowron. With the crazy eyes. Gowron, yeah, like him or something. Is he dead? Is he dead in the show? I can't no, remember. No, he's alive. He's alive and ticking. Yeah, I, I was expecting something like that. Like they were going to reveal themselves to be a major player that we hadn't seen in a while that would uh, uh, really change the landscape instead yeah. of just, you know, guys with buckets on their heads. <laughs> You were Mick, expecting Mick, there to Mick be some Fleetwood. kind of story narrative resonance to their appearance, but it's it's absolutely not the case. They're just going to yeah. be bizarre, brutal aliens that Worf, uh, Worf tells us how devastating they are because apparently uh, 150 years ago, whatever, the Klingon Empire sent a whole fleet to attack Breen and conquer it, and they were never heard from again. So you know they're not See, that not was to be that was why with. I thought they were going to be Klingons, because he talks about that. Esri says, "Oh, you know, we don't. Nobody knows what they look like." I was like, "Well, then they have. It must be like whatever this fleet is has become. Oh, I see. Part of part of the Breen cult, you know, something like that. You know, like uh, I was expecting a, a bit of a twist instead of just, you know, it would be da- Daft Punk leading uh, <laughs> Esri and <laughs> it Worf would be like to uh, the- Wayun. <laughs> it would be like the um." In insurrection, the Sona are the same race as the aliens that live on the planet. Yeah, that something kind of, like that. Yeah. Why not? Um, I guess before we move to anything else, let's get the uh, so the the big change of this episode is Dukat and the Win storyline. What'd you think of that one? Uh, so is the vision that Kai Win sees is that from the Pa Wraiths or is that legit from the Prophets? Pa Wraiths. 
Okay. Do they say that in the show? I I, I must have missed it. They don't. It's just the fact I they have not said that yet. But it is the power wraiths, and you're, I think you're just supposed to assume that the prophets are never going to speak to her, but mm-hmm. the power wraiths will. So what are the – if Cisco says – if, if, if the word has gotten around that Cisco and Cassidy are not getting married, what is the point of that vision? Because the vision that they give Kai Wynn is you have to – get him back on track or something right mm-hmm. so i mean i, I don't know it, I, I guess it it remains to have a point after he actually does get married but it i she gets that vision and then does not act on it whatsoever and then this guy shows up and and they you know make out which i was not a fan of well but. they the vision tells her that she needs to follow the lead of a farmer Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I missed that part. So when Ducat shows up and he says, I'm a farmer from this place, she goes, oh, this must be the guy. So it's it was the vision was given to her more just for her to follow Ducat when he shows up. Okay. Because, yeah, I I read it initially as though they're like, yeah, you got to stop Cisco from doing the wrong thing. And then she just doesn't do anything. (laughs) She she hangs out with Ducat for a while and just has some tea. Yeah. Yeah. And then he pulls the the thing where he was like, don't you remember – we were in the same class together at Duke. And she's like, what? He's like, yes, I sat behind you. I always loved your hair. And she's like, oh. He's like, I got a little drunk, yeah. that, <laughs> a little drunk at that party. It was a little you inappropriate. Look good. <laughs> it's like that thing. It's the thing that Bill Murray does in Groundhog Day where he, he, he sees the girl he wants to sleep with. So he goes in and asks her like five questions. Right. And then so the next day he comes in and knows all that stuff about her. It's yes. like that. Yep. Uh, I know the ultimate, the ultimate fantasy, right there, just to know it's the uh, the same with the Black Mirror episode we did, where he redoes the name so he knows who's going to greet him at the door, and he doesn't mm-hmm. have to ask like who are you or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, oh yeah, I don't know. I uh... I like I like the Duke. I I don't know. This is hard to say. I think that the I really like the concept of what they've done yeah. with these two. I don't know if the scenes have enough electricity to really power what's going on there. Um, mm-hmm. And that makes the fact that they sleep with each other truly bizarre. I don't know if the yeah. writers of DS9 are just like, everyone has to fuck. Everyone's got to fuck to wrap this <laughs> We've series up. We've got 10 episodes left and there are characters <laughs> who haven't fucked. <laughs> it's just the writer's board. It's just a whiteboard of lines and names connecting people who've had sex with each other and just pounding it out. I think It says, Kai Wynn draws a line into the next box that says, fucked, question mark, and then no written underneath it. <laughs> I... I like this idea of, as much as I think that the the main problem with Ducats is that after Waltz, they really had to work very hard and very artificially to bring him back into the story. I think that's the yeah. greatest weakness of Ducat. So they mm. kind of sledgehammer him into this power wraith role that because they haven't developed it well enough, you still kind of don't really believe that this is what he believes, but he does. Like he's he's mm-hmm. enamored with them at this point, mm-hmm. and. What I think is really great about combining him with Wynn is that it takes two of the series villains and it combines them in a way that I think totally makes sense with how their power dynamic would play out, where Ducat gets the upper hand on her and tells the mm-hmm. story. And I think it's particularly twisted that after the, like the butcher and the overseer of the Bajoran occupation is kicked out, he comes back and he uses the religion of the people he oppressed against them which I think is really kind of twisted and dark and perfect for that character. They're just, their conversations just aren't that 
lively is really the problem yeah. for me. Yeah, I like the idea. I also like that he uses his he uses his own knowledge of things that he did yes. during the <laughs> yeah. occupation to pull one over on her. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm still I'm still on the fence about this Gul Dukat turned into a, a Bajoran thing. I don't know. Like you said, it just feels like they need they were desperately f- trying to figure out how to jam him back into the story. Um, what I do really like, though, is I like what they're doing with Damar. Um, he's probably the most interesting character going for me right now is because I'm really curious to see what he's going to do yep. when uh, push comes to shove with him. Because clearly he's uh, he's got that um, <clears throat> remorseful, r- remorseful war criminal kind of thing going on. Yes. So. Well, he's um, I, I guess I would define Damar as. Damar is kind of realizing that he has no importance in what's going on. Like he is, mm-hmm. you know, they showed in this scene by what Wayun doesn't tell him where they're going. So, right. As much as he 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 he's realizing that he, as they signed up to save Cardassia, Cardassia allied with the Dominion to stop the Klingons from destroying them. He's now realizing that they kind of sold their soul to the devil, and that they aren't really mm-hmm. getting anything out of this. They're just some subjugated race. And so he's picking up his drinking. But I think the most interesting scene with Damar is when he's packing Ducat's bag for his trip. And <laughs> Ducat gives him a really interesting, great speech that kind of lifts his spirits, where he says, like, you have to be the man that I knew you were a, a mm. few years ago. We can never go back to that time where we were sailing around fighting the Klingons on our own. Uh, and I can't come back because of the power wraiths. But you can't throw it all away. Like, you have to do something with your life. And it's it's an interesting speech because... Coming from Ducat, it's a very sensible, but also kind of unexpected for Ducat to tell anybody that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, sorry, you stopped abruptly. I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, th- I think it's a really, it's a neat scene to have Ducat, this sort of like pure evil being at this point, who's plotting the destruction of everybody. He does have a soft spot for Damar, and it, it shines through, yeah. and he kind of lifts Damar out of the doldrums a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think I think Damar is is going to is going to be a dark horse character for me going forward. And uh um for exactly that reason they've they've managed to over the past few episodes turn him into a pretty interesting character when he was just sort of like Cardassian number 2 for a while. Um after after Ducat disappeared and they kind of pushed him forward, he was just sort of, you know, you know, uh, doing the evil laugh thing with Wayun for a while, but yeah. now they've kind of actually put some thought into where he's going to go, and I think it's, I think it's interesting. Yeah, he- uh, especially the part where Wayun just would not tell him what was going on, so then he had to fly off to a casino planet to uh, find a code breaker in order to come back and then figure out how to end the story in a satisfying <laughs> way. <laughs> Damar actually, um, Damar's come a long way. He started off, I'm sure you remember, as just kind of a generic sub-commander for Ducat in one episode. He didn't have a name, I don't think, or anything. Mm -hmm. He was just the guy that he would talk to. And they've kept him going. And he's, um, yeah, he's really, he is pretty nifty at this point because he is the, he's the character that you can, you can feel something is brewing with him but it's not exactly obvious what he wants to do with things mm-hmm. in a way that you can kind of 
Like, we know what Ducat is up to. We know what Cisco is deciding to do. We know what uh, Worf and Esri are up to and, like, how they want to proceed. But Damar is the um, the powder keg that's kind of sitting there waiting for stuff to happen. Yeah, I, I can see Damar taking the place, um, uh, you know, quote-unquote, of Ducat in that he ultimately ends up making decisions for a himself but b for the what he considers to be the good of Cardassia over mm-hmm. the ultimate wishes of the uh, dominion and the and the uh, founders and stuff yeah. which you know i think that'll be interesting if once if and when that happens yeah yeah i the i think that um the only other real aspect to this they 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 push the the founders sickness is still getting worse and everything like that um I don't think there's too much else. I, I feel like I want to say more about the Ducat and uh, Wynn scenes. I don't really know what else there is to say about those two, but I, I think that I, I think they're. I've never been really impressed with Wynn. I don't think, um, and maybe it makes sense that she ends up in this place where she's kind of getting played in this way. Mm-hmm. However, I, I think the lack of what they did with her makes her a little bit. You you don't have much sympathy for her i suppose like and i i think that maybe a better written series or one that was building towards knowing what win was going to do or had like more of an understanding of what the win character was you there would sort of be like a sad tragedy to her in what she's ended up here mm-hmm. where she's kind of desperate mm-hmm. for this to go through and being a true believer she wants like desperately to save bejor to help bejor but i don't know it, it doesn't really come across that way for me so it, it lands a little bit flat with him or her yeah, I I uh I feel like she comes off a little bit dumb in this episode and she's not really a dumb character. Mm-hmm. Um and only because I understand that she is acting because, you know, uh teach, teacher teacher n- never called on her, so the one time that he she gets called on, she wants to make sure she gets it right. But uh <clears throat> I don't know. I just feel like she's she's going along with it way too easily. Yeah. Um do you think that's and, just the fault of the script not making the vision and Ducat's uh, coincidences powerful enough? Sure. Or do you I think can, it's just not enough that. time for for her to sort of come across come across this way? I think uh, you know. I think the problem for me is that at no point in this episode does she question whether or not like this is the guy or this is the way I should be going. You know, because she's. She's she's been established as someone who is very much in you know a believer of the religion, but she's also not an idiot. She also uses the religion and all of its trappings to consolidate her own power, mm-hmm. and just blindly handing herself over to this vision, and then this guy magically shows up and says all the right things. Like she doesn't push back or like question it at all. She's just like wide eyed and ready to go on a trip. And I, I wonder if, if realistically, maybe she would, I, I would have liked to see maybe, uh, you know, Ducat gets a couple details wrong or something. Yeah. And so she's like, well, that's not how I remember. And he's like, oh, well, I mean, <laughs> well, of course, uh, no, of course not. I misspoke, you know, that kind of stuff. Where, yeah. Whereas there's, there's a little bit of apprehension for her to, uh. For, instead of her just like you know going blindly into the into this this you know uh, um, I lost my words but you know what I mean um, like it's well, it's also they, why why does she have to sleep with him 
the the sleeping with him is strange. I I, I don't I, I think that the script is kind of hinting that there's supposed to be some kind of sexual chemistry between the two of them. Uh, there isn't, mm. unfortunately, very, in the final performance. Very subtle hint. <laughs> but the I think that I think the way that they kind of play it, but I don't know if it lands as importantly or like seemingly to be the point as Ducat's coincidences is that. I think the way to make Wynne more believable in what she does here is to really highlight the fact that she never wanted Cisco to be in that role. And they, they bring it mm. up here where Ducat says, like, how can he be the emissary? He's not even a Bajoran. And yeah. I think I think if they had, if Ducat's plot had kind of leaned more into him realizing that she wanted desperately to replace the emissary and him playing that up. I can see her more personally being drawn into it than just kind of like, oh, what a coincidence. Like, you must be from heaven sense because you know these things. Like, if if he was mm. able to push her and pull her and, like, pull those strings a little bit, I'd be a little bit more believable that he'd be able to ingratiate himself that way with her. Yeah, like, if there was a scene, if during one of those scenes he was like, oh, it's such a great day that our that the emissary is getting married and, and Kai Wynn just starts, like, barking back towards him about how Cisco's screwing everything up. Right. You know, like, he, he was he, he was never... I don't know why they came to him. He's just... He's going expressly against the will of the prophets, and you know, that kind of thing, where she's like... She's thinking about it politically, but she's also thinking about it from a, a spiritual standpoint, and, you know, then that's that's like... That's like an open wound for 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 Ducat to get his fit to yes know, put put salt in you know that's yeah. like his bread and butter right there is that kind of stuff yeah instead of making up stories about uh you know crops failing and stuff yeah or changing logs to get sent to a, a different planet labor camp and saving lives yeah. like I did I, think I the, did that I think the crops thing is where it started to lose me where it's like <laughs> the lynch the linchpin is where he's like oh I've just received word from the home world that my crops are coming in surely. <laughs> This meeting was preordained by the prophets, wouldn't you say? The, the, the seeds that I've planted have started to sprout. It's a miracle. He's like, it is a miracle. My God! Like, who would have expected your crops to grow? That's great. I guess we're, I guess we're supposed to be impressed with the the rapid pace of the growth or something, but it doesn't seem that impressive. I had the seeds sitting in a cup on my desk, and nothing happened. But after <laughs> I accidentally knocked them into the soil, they started to grow. I've it's got a my miracle. Head. <laughs> hydroponic setup and it is the stickiest of the icky kaiwen i don't know if you're interested in partaking i've brought some from the home world if you'd like to sample it i think we're uh we're done talking about till death do us well uh, let's let's talk actually the the marriage ceremony cisco's married did it do anything mm-hmm. for you yeah i liked it i liked um, it i liked it that's you know i think i i, I think you kind of said this earlier Cisco getting married is a big signal to of the end of the series for me. Yep. Because that is because the thing with his wife was such a uh central point of his character at the beginning and so much of his character has been or so much of his character growth has been moving on after the death of his wife and reconciling ex blah 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 blah. Raising Jake uh, by himself. Raising Jake, ignoring the criminal past of his new wife. <laughs> um looking you know, learning when to look the other way is a good way to yeah. put that yeah uh him getting married very much feels like that uh, for the most part i don't want to say that that chapter is over but that it is definitely moving on like there is especially with the prophet prophecy and all that kind of stuff or the or the vision there's obviously more to come it's not like cisco getting married is the last episode of the show there's still more to do yeah 
Um, but it definitely signals a change and sort of a winding down of of uh, of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I uh, sorry. Uh, go ahead. I had one more thing I wanted to say about the Ezra and Wharf stuff. Oh, sure. I'll just the, my my thing about the the marriage ceremony is that I hundred percent agree. It feels like the end of the Cisco storyline, or at least it's like the 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 last line heading into the final uh, little clause or whatever. However, you ever want to make that uh, analogy. But I think that the the I like the smallness of the ceremony. I like the fact that the mm-hmm. Bajorans were threatening him with a statewide, planet-wide celebration. And in defying the prophets, he also defies the Bajorans at that point. Yes. And he kind of yeah. claims what he wants for himself. And I think the small wedding ceremony, with not even all the senior officers there, because Worf and Ezra are getting tased on the Breen ship, um, I, I think that really is like a nice visual symbolism of his decision and i think it wraps it up really nicely i think that it it's well done i think that it's like it's cute without being overly heavy-handed they get it in and out and it's like very uh brief admiral ross comes back to do his his vows and everything i like it it's a good ending for those two but what would you want to say about Worf and ezra and then we'll wrap to final thoughts well i was thinking if you're gonna do that story or or spend so much time with these characters and who are ostensibly a couple for lack of a better term i i feel like especially when you're coming into the end of your series i i feel like that time would be much more well spent and much more interestingly spent if it was kira and odo because they have become such a non-factor in anything and seem to be just like very happy with each other um putting them in a situation that is that tests their relationship and also uh tests their relationship on a personal level but also in the in the larger context of the war that they're fighting i think would have been a much better use of of that kind of thing because the 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 ezrin wharf thing like we said it feels like that story's over but we've never really gotten anything out of kira and odo other than oh aren't aren't they cute but also kind of weird yeah yeah no i'd I'd agree. It's a continuing thread that we have about those two are weirdly backgrounded for a lot of this, mm. and it feels like they should be more more prime and more important to it. But I also kind of, um, you know, I feel Worf has been backgrounded to some extent. He's very sure. prominent in these sure. two episodes, but I feel like he yeah. hasn't really done anything in a while. Um, well, you know, I, I was also thinking, also, what about Worf and Kira? So it's not, you're not doing like a romantic with each other thing. But they both have romantic uh, stuff going on elsewhere. That would yeah. be yeah. That would be a fairly interesting contrast if they got into some of that stuff. And you know, I, I don't know. I just I don't think Worf and Ezri is the right call. I think there I think there is, I think there are more interesting uh, character combinations that you could really get into some stuff that hasn't been talked about. Um, instead of it, because because I think. The biggest proof that it's not maybe the right call is that every scene in this episode is just so boring. Yeah, <laughs> and they're not doing anything. They're just you're yeah. you're literally watching them get driven to someone's house. You know. Yeah, I maybe that's I'll, maybe that's a little harsh. I'll I'll say that they if it certainly feels like they're treading water. Like what they're saying, yeah. what they're saying kind of matters, and it's not that the scene is a total waste of time, but it's 
Worf and Ezri is the most egregious because I feel like their scene repeats three times over itself. It's like mm-hmm. there, there's never this like concise scene where everything is summed up. It's like Ezri's hallucinating, then Worf's hallucinating, then they get pulled off again, then they're back together, then they're arguing, then there's a scene cut, then they come back and they're arguing again. And it's just it's just too much of that story. There's no reason for that to be taking up so much time. And there's no – and to what end, you right. know? Yeah. Like what, what do you get before they get uh, revealed to be – having been brought to uh Wayun, what are you getting out of that story other than Worf is now jealous of Bashir? That that's a good point because there I think that's why you could say that working in Odo or Kira into that would work better because the the problem with that storyline is that the personal conflict is entirely detached from what they're like over overarching narrative in the storyline is. Like they're mm-hmm. they're kind of just two random characters who have a problem and are stuck in a storyline that is necessary to show you what the Dominion are up to, but it doesn't relate mm-hmm. to the what the Dominion are up to. Yeah. So it just it doesn't feel as cleanly um, written as you would expect for that kind of thing. You'd expect a little bit more like thematic crossover or something, I guess. Yeah. It just I I don't know what's going to happen with them moving forward, but it just feels like it's there for the sake of having them get to where they're going. And, yeah. Uh, and even so, like even if even if they are important to whatever the story is that comes after this, I feel like if you did one scene at the end of this episode where you just like cut back, like you you could you could have done the entire episode revolving around uh, Cisco and Cassidy and Kai Wynn and Ducat, and then at the end have your last scene be uh, uh, two or three minutes with Ezri and Worf as they get brought to Wayun. Right. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't need to keep going back to them because yep. they're not. No, nothing's going on to go back to. Nope. I'd agree. Let's uh, take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. We'll come back, read some patron thoughts, and give our final thoughts about till death do us part. If you do this, you will know only sorrow. You shared my mother's existence. You must have some idea what love is. You should know that I will never be happy without Cassidy. Your path is a difficult one. I cannot change what is to come. I know. Be careful, my son. All right, everybody. So if you enjoyed the content today, you can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best way to do it. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff. It's really much appreciated. And as always, the Captain Tier supporters get a shout out. Andrew Sherlock, Ben Douglas, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Mosk, David Beardmore, David K, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, HH28, IC Unicorns, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Reyes, Cal Barrett, Matt Corrier, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elliott, Samuel Custer, Grim Santos, Sean Spinobi, Tark Latif, Tom Hiles, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much for supporting the show. It means a lot to us. And uh, yeah, we're almost done. We're almost done with DS9. And then on to bigger, bigger things, I suppose. <laughs> but we're going to talk about patron comments now. If you're a patron, you leave your thoughts on upcoming episodes and we read them. Point Extra G says... I never much cared for the Worf and Ezri storyline. It just seems a bit too melodramatic for me. Cisco defying the prophets makes sense to me, but I'm with Kira. This can't be good. And apparently random dudes can just show up and manipulate the Kai. Zemnuka Russell says, 
Two touches here aren't strictly necessary, but they make the world feel consistent. One, Ducat's parting speech highlights that he's always been pushing other characters towards their full potential from Odo and necessary evil onwards. And number two, Esri's delirium makes nice use of her recent experiences. They might not have been great episodes, but they help Worf see that this is a woman he does not really know. Interesting point. Captain Quark says, This is a decent episode that serves as more of a setup for things to come. The Cisco storyline was compelling. Again, the prophets aren't making themselves 100% clear, but I suppose you can argue that if they did, then their plan wouldn't happen. Mark Lamo again shines as Ducat. He's somehow creepier as a Bajoran. The Worf and Ezri scenes are the low point of this episode, as it doesn't seem like anything they go through ultimately matters. I'm not an expert, but isn't Ezri's view on the psychological meaning of dreams outdated even in this century? Then again, maybe she's not a good counselor, just like not, uh, maybe she's just not a good counselor, not Troy bad, but still pretty mediocre. <laughs> Christian Pouch. Trust me, Cisco. a small wedding is the way to go. As awful as his indecision was for Cassidy, I'm glad it shows in the end that he's not blindly following the will of the prophets. In other news, Ducat is twisted as fuck. The wind is easily manipulated by the power wraiths, and Ezri and Worf aren't a whole lot of fun to watch. Tomorrow's a treat, though. Who would have guessed from his first appearances that we'd get this kind of performance in the end? Finally, I like the brutish efficiency of the Breen. No words that we can understand, anyway. No taunting. Just go in, get what you want, and get out. Tough bastards, too, because one that actually, one that Worf attacks, uh, one that Worf attacks shrugs off of the hit like it is nothing. Um, what, what do they even want? The Breen. Yeah. Like, why is that? Do we learn that, or like, why do they bl- keep? I think they're trying to probe them for f- Federation secrets, is my understanding. Because oh, Worf right. says he's going into some kind of like cerebral mind reading device, and that's why they're having these dream sequences where they're yelling out their memories. Oh, like the squid. Yes, from exactly. uh, Rogue One. <laughs> I was expecting when they bring when they brought back Worf, I was expecting him to go. They didn't even ask me any questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think they're trying to. Uh, pry out some secrets from them and this is the way mm-hmm. that they do it um is netflix password damar I, I would say like it is always kind of funny when you get a performance like damar who's a character who's not supposed to be anything but actually turns out to be a, he's a pretty good actor in this like he's not a yeah. he's not a weak link and that obviously the writers are going to reward actors who are capable of doing things with stuff but it, it's always nice when you get one that um like the actor just kind of works out for a situation instead of the other way around he, he's been good he's, he's interesting what was the deal, unless I misheard it, when Esri is having her dream talking, she says something about, it's okay, Garrick, I'm your sister? Did I did I mishear that? Yes. Cause, Why? Because that doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I, that confused me while I was, I was like, so are these, I feel like she's having dreams about her past lives or something. But it sounded to me like she said something about being Garrick's sister. Why would it be Garrick's? I do remember that. I don't remember why she says it. Um, one of the one of the listeners will correct us as to why that. It was there a was there an episode where she posed as Garrick's sister or something? I don't know. I don't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember. Someone let us know why she says that because I um. The other things she says stick out to me as memories from episodes that happened. Yeah. Because she says, uh, I'm not a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's see here. 
Till Death Do Us Part by Yarpy. Louise Fletcher is a good actress, but she gets very little to work with as Kai Wen. And the whole Prophets versus Power Wraith seems so superimposed or glued into the whole story arc, even though Marco Lamo is still great to watch as Ducat. Cisco's wedding stuff is a bit so-so. Same with Dax and Worf, although DeBear gets more to work with, as, uh, with the character than she did early in the season. And she does have enough chemistry with Michael Dorn to make their scenes work well enough. DeMar keeps growing as a character, and I really like Biggs and Combs together. I think those two actors are very suitable to play off of each other. Norman Buckwald says... The second episode of the arc is stronger and further provides artfully the structure feel of what is to come. The work on the characterization in this 10 arc was especially strong in how it depicts Kai Wen, who comes across more, uh, more cardboard last season in The Reckoning, came across more cardboard last seasoning in The Reckoning. Here, the reason for who she is and how she responds to the prophets is strong, and whoever came up with the bonding her together with Ducat was genius. Fletcher and Olamo work so great together. Esri's confession was ridiculously cl- cliche, mentioning her love from a dream and right after the narrative clip show dream of all the other episodes from the season to boot. But thematically, it's perfect, especially in how it contrasts Cisco and Cassidy to yikes when in Ducat. And for that matter, the title especially works perfectly for Worf, who now has to confront his mixed feelings with Dax that, and that Esri is not Jedzia. A four out of five. You know you know what I think I would have done if, if, if changing the characters wasn't an option? Yep. I think I would have taken what they were hinting at, or maybe we were talking about from the last episode, where you have Dax sort of not being able to handle all of the emotions and all of the the memories and stuff that she's been dealing with. Um, And then in this episode, you know, so that's why she goes out, you know, to find Worf, and then, you know, she's talking to him about not really being able to reconcile stuff because she's got all these people in her head or whatever. And then, you know, they kind of hook up or, and you know, it, it calms them down or, or whatever. And then on the ship, the torture or the zapping or something causes her, her trill to like f- freak out. Or oh, something. She, like she it, goes like between the personalities or something like that. Yeah. Like not like literally, it's not like she's, you know, flipping back and forth doing voices and stuff, but it's like, it's really, messing her up and it's really causing this this uh trauma to her mm-hmm. which Worf is then there to experience in what he's hearing from her but also try to be the one who's sort of like helping her through it yeah and then at least then at least you've got some like character arc stuff and and action happening instead of them just sitting there yapping about escape plans you know so yeah. like yeah to build off what you did in the last episode um in a way that's a, a little bit less forced than just Worf getting jealous because she has a crush on Bashir. Yeah, I, I like that idea because the the crush on Bashir, as you're saying, is what kind of triggers the difference uh, between them. But I think that if if Worf was exposed to a malfunctioning trill, I think it I think it shows you as a person that it's not the person you knew. It is just this conglomeration of memories that are in this person mm-hmm. and. If you're kind of yanked out of the thing of like, oh, this is not just Jedzia. Like, this is just a collection of sort of random memories, and Jedzia is just one of those memories, and it's not really her. I think that's a more effective way for Worf to separate himself from Dax when he makes that realization. Mm. Cal Barrett says, final comment, Overall, I think this is a strong episode, but each storyline has an aspect that bugs me. I enjoy Sisko's struggle where he once again has to choose between his personal desires and his duty to the prophets, but I feel it was missing a scene because how 
is it, how it is in the episode makes it seem like he married Cassidy just because the ring was non-refundable. I like <laughs> Worf and Esri's back and forth and where the relationship stands at the end of the episode, but the truth being revealed by sleep talking is too easy and silly. And when we get those great scenes of Ducat manipulating Wynn, the perf- uh, and then we get the great scenes of Ducat manipulating Wynn, the performances are captivating, and I like seeing both villains interact while they're thinking they're pursuing the interests of their alternative higher powers. But them getting hot and sweaty together at the end? No thanks. A good episode, but it's still ramping up. Thank you very much, patrons, for leaving your thoughts about Till Death. Do us part. Clay, what are you going to give this one on our scale of one to five? Mm, I don't know. Um... Part of me, I'm no, I can't. I, I guess a three. Yeah, I th- I'm gonna go with a three. <laughs> I'm also gonna give it a three. I think I, I, I was think, I was borderline two. Oh, interesting. You thought this one is I, worse than the the first one? No, I don't know. I just thought it just felt like a lot of treading water for me. Um, and I know that it's not, but it just I was I'm surprised at how slow it's moving. Mm-hmm. Um. But I think I think the stuff that they do, Ezri and Worf aside, is interesting enough, and you know it's all done pretty fairly well. So I'll go with a three. Yeah, I'll I'll give it a three as well. I I think it's almost indistinguishable from the first episode, Penumbra. I I feel very Mm -hmm. similar to it, uh, where they're almost kind of the same episode, and so I I think giving both of them a three is kind of appropriate for me. Um, But not uh, it is slower than you'd expect. They're certainly not jumping out with the fireworks right away to start off the, the entire thing. It's it's more of a slow build there. And I guess at this point, my my main question is the storylines they're choosing to focus on uh, to the extent of not even jumping to fresh storylines in the second episode of this arc. They're just going to keep going with the Cisco and uh, Dukat and Worf and Ezri stuff, which is a choice. I just don't know if it's the right choice. Mm, yeah, we'll see. Remains to be seen. Let's see. That's it. Thank you very much, guys, for listening and supporting the show. You can follow all the social media links down below, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, if you want to join the conversation. Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show. It's the best way to do it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we're done? Uh, yeah. I had one more thing I wanted to ask. This is a little bit of a, of a uh, non sequitur, but not really. How do you feel about clapping with the back of your hand? Like the back of one hand into the other hand? Yeah, because I've noticed that Kira does it, and it it's very strange to me. I've seen people <laughs> do it in real life, but I don't know why it just stands out as a strange thing. I'm I'm sort of miming it now to myself as to why I would do it. I, I guess it it kind of feels like a polite like jazz clap or something almost it feels like yeah. it's like a more respectful, softer sound than clapping your hands together. I I don't know why anyone anyone would do that. Yeah, I don't know. It just stood out. I, I, because it's not something that you, I feel like you see that often. Do you think when she really starts clapping hard, she flips it over? Or does she just keep whacking? I the don't back know. Of her hand? Part of me, part of me thought it was supposed to be passive aggressive, maybe. But <laughs> I wonder if the Bajor, the Bajorns don't do it in general. Do they? I don't know. I ooh, that's that's quite a detail. I have, I have I no idea know. whether or not the Bajorns were worked out to be certain kind of clappers or not, but it, I don't know. No, I don't. Um, I don't clap that way. I clap two hands together like that, just like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think we're done. 
That's it for uh, Till Death Do Us Part. Thank you very much, guys, for listening. I think Strange Bedfellows is the next episode. It is. So we'll be back with that one. Oh, it's also Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Hope you enjoy mm, uh, Turkey indeed. Day. And uh, the podcast will maybe have provided a little bit of entertainment as you were driving to the family or wherever you're going, or if you're just staying at home. Just people do that, too. I think that's it. Any, any Turkey Day plans for you, Clay? Uh, just going to my girlfriend's family's uh get together and on the south shore yep um we might try to go to uh, we have a tendency to be very indecisive when it comes to where to go for ha- for holidays so it just means we end up driving for a lot of it yeah yeah <laughs> trying trying to hit both uh amy's working Yourself? so we're not doing anything She's oh coming. yeah that's well that's that's great we were thinking about trying to come up with a reason to get out of going altogether. <laughs> uh we've managed to do that <laughs> consistently the past couple of years on easter but we haven't dared try it on like a a big a big uh, a big two holiday yeah 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 the end the end of the year holidays are the biggest ones they, they all hit mm. right in a row no yeah amy's working so we're just hanging out here and then she'll work that night and then that's it for thanksgiving but otherwise i think that's it happy turkey day to everybody out there and we'll be back on monday with the next episode see ya